decolonizing education. And uh, one thing that non-Indigenous allies of this, because it goes back to the treaty, the concept of treaty-to-treaty relationship, that when the British Crown signed those treaties, they signed those treaties in recognizing Indigenous sovereignty um, and that, that were adopted by the Canadian government and then recognized through constitutional changes um, that recognize this treaty-to-treaty relationship and we're trying to get back to that. So one thing that those non-Indigenous allies could do is to advocate for for language, for language rights. Marie Batiste suggests one thing that non-Indigenous allies can do is petition, um, in our case, their MLA, um, but their, their federal their federal representatives to make indigenous languages official. Just make them official. Start that. Make a bill that says all indigenous languages across Canada are now official languages equal to English and French. And and what that can do, what that one little step can do next is help find some recognition from the other side of the treaty. We recognize and validate our rights, and we also recognize and validate the way of uh, European society or European neocolonial society. So it needs to have, we need to kind of reestablish that balance of a, of a rela- of our relationship, of a, of a equitable relationship. And then again, that is one thing to say, but then to actually make that choice. How can you put that into action? Is what I want to say. How do you take action on that? So that is one way is to recognize indigenous languages and put put pressure on your your government to make those languages these issues of concern. I was at a conference in Ottawa and I got to hear the vice minister of decolonization, the vice minister of decolonization from. Uh, Bolivia, and if you just really think about what that that phrase means, he is a, a government official, a vice minister of decolonization, and uh, he had a lot of great message of what can happen when you have uh, you know some support from non-indigenous allies in your cause. It can go a long way. Well, great. I think there's a ton more questions that I know I'd like to ask, but we are running out of time and. Uh, I want to just remind the listeners that we're, we are t- talking with Chris George, who is Mi'kmaq Mixed Ancestry, uh, with an Indigenous and non-Indigenous both. He's also a graduate student and a research assistant at the University of New Brunswick. And Sherry, do you have any last questions you'd like to throw in there uh, before we let Chris conclude with it, his final thoughts? Well, I just um, I want to thank you, Chris, for being with us today. And... Um, I guess there, like you said, <laughs> there, there are so many questions um, that we could ask. Uh, maybe I think that um, one of the most important questions is um, looking at something that you mentioned several times but didn't really get a chance to get into. If you could just kind of give us a quick synopsis of this in the last minute is looking at the issue of missing and murdered Indigenous women. That's a, yeah, that was, a major that was, issue. Pardon? That, that's a major uh, yeah, that issue. Was, that was, yeah, that was a major, it always has been a major issue. Right now, you're starting to see a lot of information about it being broadcast through the CBC network. Um, and for, for me, it goes back to when I was starting my undergraduate degree. I was uh, 19 years old, and I was my daughter was born. I had an Aboriginal daughter, you know, and I, I came from the United States. I was born in Massachusetts, 
So here I am raising an Aboriginal daughter, and I'm at university, and I'm learning the treatment of Indigenous people throughout history, and I'm understanding the statistics facing my children. And so it all comes back to, um, you know, that issue is huge because, I mean, those are our mothers, those are our daughters, our sisters, are that kind of a concept. And I think deeper, though, I, the, the fact that it is human beings who are missing, who... Um, you know, officials do not want to investigate or refuse to investigate for whatever reason. Besides the fact that he's a human being, um, in a bigger conceptual idea, if you look at the residential school, the era, the residential school era, one of the bigger things that that took away from Indigenous society was that role of the mother. One of the biggest issues, one of the bigger things that was stolen from Indigenous um Society, I think, and in a broader sense, was the role of the clan mother, uh, that matriarch version, even though matriarchal is still a Eurocentric concept, but that that role of the mother and how it was attacked and, and, and assaulted throughout history. And now we have this this thing, this missing and murdered Aboriginal women, which has become a huge uh, issue. And I think it, it's very historical, too. And addressing that hurt, that pain, trying to uh, trying to to put some investigation and bring some fairness to this is a good place to start for this new government to kind of start like more at a more uh, organic level of healing old old wounds. This is a good place to start, and I think it's really it's a big issue. Um, you know, the the women's rights in general, no matter where you are in the world, um, it's a huge issue. Um, so I think that's why. You know, again, I could talk on that for days, but it really comes back to, you know, my daughter, my nieces, you know, those like that next generation. But then also we think about um, our grandmothers and our aunts and those people in our lives who had such a huge, like for me, you know, if I look back at a lot of the uh, ceremonial and the elder people who had the impact on me, it was grandmothers. It was people like that who kind of, because I was a, a, a father at a young age and I needed to learn those parenting skills. And I learned it from, from grandmothers. I learned it from mothers. So that spirit, that female, energy um, that that major like that clan mother um, I think that's a good place to start to, to start trying to heal from that because it's healing that we really need I mean yeah we want to talk about equality and, and civil rights but we're talking about healing you know a cultural genocide and it's really a huge term using genocide when it comes to First Nations people and I think most of Canada has accepted the term of cultural genocide it was used in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission so we're talking about violence like on mass violence, that from an indigenous perspective, if you you know from a restorative justice point of view, if you can look at that that conflict from an indigenous lens, the first thing the elders will tell you is you need to like identify and 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 heal the original hurt, original the original pain, and Absolutely. for for that's a good place to start, I think. Yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, you're you're certainly very articulate about the things you're facing, not just on you know the research level, but also on the personal level. And I think that's very important for all of the issues that all of us are facing throughout the planet right now. Is to remember the heart, remember the spirit, and remember that we can quote statistics, but what it comes down to is our relationships with one another. So I very much appreciate what you. Uh, shared with our listeners today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.
You're listening to Occupy Radio from KWVA Eugene and the Pacifica Radio Network, streaming at kwvaradio.org and podcasting at occupyradio.org. for that insight. Next, we'll talk with Nika Mahan, an elder in residence from St. Thomas University and a member of the Mi'kmaq community from uh, Espinobodich Grand Church in Canada. here at Occupy Radio, and we have Mika Mahan, who is uh, Espinovich from the Mi'kmaq First Nation in New Brunswick, Canada. She's Lobster Clan, a mother, grandmother, and she's the elder in residence at St. Thomas University, working to provide cultural and spiritual support to students, women, children, and youth. Mika Mahan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Sherry, for inviting me. It's good to be able to connect with you and everyone. What we're talking about today is the large voter turnout in Canada amongst First Nations people. And some of the central issues that have been identified have been water rights and the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women. The first question that I have for you is regarding the water. There are specific uh, treaties that predate the relationship that the First Nations people had with Canada, one in particular relating to the water. Can you tell us that story? Oh, yes. Well, as you know, uh, uh, some of my own uh, experience, recent experiences coming from my community with with, with, uh, fishing rights, the time when the Canada Supreme Court uh, announced that uh, the Mi'kmaq had the right to... uh, to fish for moderate livelihood uh, during the Donald Marshall uh, case, when his case went into the Supreme Court after 10 years of fighting for his right to be able to uh, fish for eel. Uh, And he won his case um, because of the treaties. And so just just that um, experience and... um, Sometimes uh, later with the LNG, with the Passamaquoddy sisters, dealing with the, this company trying to set up their, uh, I think it was uh, what was a wasting station or some kind of a station right in Passamaquoddy Bay. And so um, just those two conflicts uh, reminded our people, in particularly the, the Wabanaki women of those two areas, when we felt we were powerless over these huge industries and uh, with the government, 
we reflected back and we were drawn back. Of course, um, our ceremonies guided us back to our relationships with the water people, which is really my clan, and I'm being very connected to my clan, and I know my responsibility as Lobster Clan is, uh, first and foremost, is that uh, I'm, I'm always conscious, and I raised my children with this kind of consciousness, response, being responsible to the ocean floor uh, to make sure that the water is always clean for our clan. And so it was this experience with the water when I had uh, got kind of sidetracked when our community was being assaulted by Department of Fishery and the Oceans and with the um, non-native fishermen as well as the Canadian government. While I was responding to those assaults, I was reminded by uh, my ancestors, especially the, uh, the elders that reminded me not to be not to be affected by this uh, distractions, and so I I was also reminded and had a vision about the whales, and it was my grandfather who came because my, he had passed, and my grandfather came and reminded me of my responsibility, my first responsibility, our first treaty, is with the whales. And so we needed to reconnect and re-look at because I was um, very upset, angry with Canada for violating the uh, the treaty rights that we have with them, and so and for violating um, uh, our right to fish. And so as I was responding to those statements publicly, I had a and that brought me back. It was because of my public announcements, you know, of retaliation that my grandfather came to me in my uh, dream and reminded me of my responsibility to the whales and that we have a treaty with them and that we we had to make sure that we don't break our treaty with the whales first. So we had to look back at our original treaties with the with the water people, with the water because we had violated those treaties um, during the, the first um, traders, when the first settlers arrived, and this, you know, the, this overfishing and you know, this whole different lifestyle. Eventually, our people participated in fishing uh, beyond our uh, um, sustainability. So, in that reminder that I had, and so we we had the wampum. I was showing the wampum um, beads that we had, my um, my grandma, my grandfather, and the whale. And so we, from that understanding and remembering, um, we started to do uh, the water ceremonies and to start uh, going towards that direction is to build our relationship with the water because we've become equally estranged too over what 500 years of colonialism uh, we needed to uh, reconnect to our indigenous worldview our indigenous practices and and remember our ancestors they were people of integrity people who lived in harmony with nature and 
um, and it's because of those original, those sacred treaties that they had with all life. And um, the representative uh, here in the East Coast, uh, in the water, is the whale. And we hear it in our creation stories when Glooskap uh, got on the back of the whale and journeyed out with the whale. And so that is uh, one of our creation stories, that continual exchange and building relations. And the other experience with the water and with the whales is there at uh, Passamaquoddy community when the women were in the forefront with their allies and they were uh, trying to protect the Passamaquoddy Bay. And uh, when it seemed like it was getting overwhelming and it seemed, you know, the hope was starting to kind of dwindle down and we all gathered at the Passamaquoddy Bay and had a ceremony and the women sang, called on the whales to come and help. And uh, it was a very powerful experience because when we were there, there was such a deep silence and that silence is we recognize when you hear a statement, there's that kind of like a twilight silence. It's You know that there's been an acknowledgement. And so when we gathered back, we knew we made a commitment. We reconnected and recommitted ourselves to the whales that we would continue to be honorable and that we would be allies to protect the waters. And um, I truly believe that that's what helped the Passamaquoddy uh, at that time because uh, I think it uh, diverted where where they were going to put that station, that the LNG. So those were the two experiences that are happening in this day and age. These are not stories of uh, way in the past. This is about who the people are still and our relationship, not only for Wabanaki, but for all peoples that we need to reconnect ourselves or rebuild our relationship to all life, to reconnect with the tree people, with the plant life, with the water people, with the water. And I believe we brought ourselves to this point to awaken us and to recognize, just like, you know, um, a child who pushes the limits, then finally they bring themselves to the point of, like, this is looking very scary. Then they have to stop for a moment and, you know, look look back to the mother and, you know, for resolve. And, and this is what's happening. You know, humanity is, we've pushed it. And now, like, we're looking to our great mother and, you know, okay, we're ready. Like, you know, we, you know, we want to make amends. We're responsible. Look at what, we, what we've done. You know, what, look at what we've been, been responsible for and how do we resolve. And, and so it's really about connecting. connecting yes. You said that, um, you know, your people have ancient treaties with 
uh, say the whales or the tree people or the uh, all the other creatures and part of this web of life that we are. What about peoples and populaces that don't remember their treaties or don't have stories about treaties like that or relationships like that? Can they forge new ones? Do you think that's a possibility? Of course, it's all about humanity and for us I can only speak from our indigenous view and it's our culture is continues a living uh, culture and just as everyone and so when our whole philosophy is based on building relations you know to be able to live communally in harmony with all all life and so we continually I I don't think, and and I think maybe we need to be more form uh, formalizing those relationships, just as um, uh, we have created uh, ceremonies in our culture, marriage ceremonies, you know, rites of passage ceremonies, and this is the treaties that um, how they're created is is to build relations, and a lot of our treaty belts have a continual string, meaning that it continually grows and we keep building uh, treaties with whoever, you know, that's becoming our families. And so now, like, we're here all in North America, and now we are a family. And we have to come together as a family to begin to be responsible, to be the true caretakers again, to remember about what it means to be a, a true caretaker for all of life. None of our relations, the tree, the plant life, the water, people, none of them are destroying and hurting life. It's only us, the two-legged. So we have to build those treaties with them. And I, yeah, I, I do. I agree. We can keep making treaties. And And what does that look like? Today, when we make those treaties, this is about a life commitment, and we continue. We raise our children in, you know, in this kind of uh, to be conscious human beings, and that, you know, that they are part of all. They are part of a bigger family. We name our children with what the ones we honor the most. I've named all my children with um, the wing people. Two of my children are named after uh, the two birds, you know, from uh, the hawk family and uh, the robin family. And my daughter is named after the um, breath, uh, our great mother's breath. And those are all done intentionally, so they become their names. And so they learn about who they are, and they're not separate from all of creation. They are a part of creation. Um, my clan is fish, lobster, and so we all raise, they're raised with that understanding that the lobster is their clan. We don't eat lobster because they're our family. And so they're aware of that. And we know about lobster and oh, when they go through their rites of passage, we draw on the teachings of the lobster. You know, so it's it's reconnecting and staying connected and knowing that you're a part of a greater family. I think that's really important because, you know, we all have an understanding of what family means. We may not yeah. all be connected. You know, mm-hmm. people from other walks of life may not be connected to 
their cultural teachings in the same way that some of the indigenous peoples are still connected to those cultural teachings, but we are still connected to the understanding of what family means. And so I think that gives everybody a jumping off point where they can start renewing those relationships based on this understanding of, of family and familial connection. And so when we talk about valuing life, I think that's a really good segue into, you know, this next section, which is about the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women. You know, these women are our mothers, our grandmothers, our daughters, you know, aunts and sisters and um, the carriers of life. And the issue of them being missing is really paramount to the continuation of this relationship building that you're talking about. So can you talk to us for a few minutes about the issue of murdered and missing Indigenous women? I think the this assaults on uh, women, missing murdered women, Aboriginal women, there's no words to describe how devastating this is to our culture and how how far this is going to into the affect us into the future. Uh, women are the culture. Women are the land and women are water. You know, a lot of the indigenous names and describing women in our languages is all about connecting to the land. You know, we're talking about feminine life. You know, women have been, um, in our cultures, been the first target. And it's very, it's been very intentional and in the system that's uh, arrived on our shores. Then they were the target with the, the women because we're central. And it's so conditioned after all these years to devalue, objectify a women. And we are the language, the carriers of the language. We are the life givers. We are the lawmakers. It is... Uh, when we're talking about warfare, when you wanna uh, coming in, you attack that the heart of the people, and you know it's uh, still that uh, Western colonial mentality of how uh, the warfare is orchestrated is to to get the the source of the the life the lifeline. To be to eliminate a people, and so women have been women and children are the first target and the most casualty worldwide when there's any any kind of assault on the people. It's it's very deep and very personal for me, and for of course for all of us. I've seen with experience in seeking justice to address that here in Canada. And I know it's not just uh, in Canada. I know that uh, if it's happening here, it's happening everywhere, and we know that. Uh, We know that uh, more so now. We've had uh, numerous responses to address the missing murdered women here in Canada for so many years, but the Canadian government just uh, turned a blind eye or you know, haven't responded effectively as we had hoped for 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 many years, and now people are hopeful with the uh, new prime minister and new new government in place. And it seems like that they were more 
receptive to looking at it. I think that's really important for them to publicly state that they're going to take a position on it because, as you said, these ideas have been so deeply embedded into the psyche that there is a great justification for the victimization of these women. And I even read a report by the, in the National Post where the police chief, uh, there was a 400-page report that came out where the police categorized the women that were missing as hookers and whores. And so they've completely dehumanized them and taken away the value that they have as women by categorizing them in really dark and dirty ways. And I think that that's something that's also been done to the earth as a representation of women, that all of this stuff is really connected to the demonizing of the feminine. When you look at the attacks against the earth and the attacks against the women, that this is really a larger social problem that speaks to a spiritual illness. Sherry, I think you're bringing up such a good point. And if we look back through history, back to Europe, back, 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 back to BC eras, there's quite a, a good archaeological uh, examination of the history of conquest and actually war and the persecution. The persecution, as Mahan was bringing up, of women central to the origins of war and invasion and conquest, which just went on and on and on and spilled over into North America as well. This is a deep subject, something where We'll have to go into more on Love and Revolution as we start the show in the new year. Mika Mahan, I want to give you a chance before we do have to end today's show to just share with our listeners any last reflections or things that you'd like them to go away thinking about. I think maybe it's important to remember, you know, the philosophy of this thinking that there's no such thing as coincidence. Everything is all designed uh, so um, that we as a human species and our human consciousness uh, recognize or understands who understands the self and people that arrived here in uh, Turtle Island in the Americas came to um, I think there's definitely something here on the island that was still connected to the land and that uh, the people that lived in the uh, in the Americas was people uh, of integrity and were living harmoniously with land and I, I think it's just uh, important to remember that uh, how they became the people that they were is because their first teachers were the ones I was describing as the plant life and all of creation and it was um, that relationship to the land, to the plant life, to the water people. Um, they were our first teachers, and they taught us how to um, be living here, to be respected. They taught us about our principles and values and co-designed ceremonies, how to celebrate together, how to honor each other. And I believe this is not just limited to... Indigenous people. It's indigenous. It's it's to all peoples. I think that that piece that you said about coincidence is really key there because it was no coincidence that people who had forgotten that connection were drawn to this land to be connected to the people who had remembered that connection. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a purpose for them being drawn here, and there's a purpose for us maintaining those connections and those teachings that we can share with one another going forward. Yes, I agree. 
Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Migamahan. We really appreciate every word that you've offered. Thank you. I, just, I hope you guys edit me well. 